Hey there, guys. Nick Thomas here with The Couch Divided. On our last episode, we talked about singleness, and I mentioned a blog that I have written uh, just a, a little while back um, about uh, my struggles with singleness and uh, heartbreak and regrets, and it's, it's very emotional, so go easy on me. This is an emotional risk. In fact, I've titled it An Emotional Risk. If you want to know the depths of this, um, I... Um, I first started writing this uh, as an exhortation to young men to be obedient in singleness and to wait on the Lord and to submit to him and and to learn about really what a man is, what a husband is, what a family is and if anybody knows me really when I counsel I always bring up identity it's it's very important so you know getting to know you know who God is and through him getting to know who you are um is the best route to take if you find yourself single but Nevertheless, suffering still comes, loneliness comes, um, and sometimes we, um, you know, we fail to see the big picture and uh, we get discouraged. I certainly have been there and even been there recently and, and really have to just reiterate that stuff uh, in my heart, everything that I've learned. So in this uh, particular blog, I actually talked about my past dating life. You will hear in the first part of the blog uh, a particular story. And then in the second part of the blog, you'll hear another particular story, and I'm not going to reveal anything here. Um, but I did talk about a girl that I once uh, dated um, and have been praying for ever since as well. She actually heard this blog later on and uh, got very emotional, didn't know how, you know, that I felt the way I felt in here. So this is ooey gooey and everything like that. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the girl that I'm talking about in here is not with Christ. I've been praying for her. Um, please pray for her too as well. And um, well, I, I hope you enjoy this. I, I really do. Uh, go ahead and um, <laughs> guard your hearts and uh, open your minds up uh, to a, a very emotional Nick Thomas, maybe a version that you've never heard before. Uh, enjoy. My advice for you while listening to this is to simply prepare your minds for an unexpected turn of events. This may or may not be emotional. As I'm typing this, I am unaware of where this might be going, and I'm certainly nervous about what I may write. I hope that in the end, it will become clear, and hopefully something raw and honest will come forth in the best possible way I know how to. I met my wife a long time ago, shortly after high school. She was a beauty and a little bit younger than I. This made it kind of awkward. However, she seemed to be just as mature as all my other friends, which isn't saying much because when you're barely 18 years old as I was, there's not much to say anyway. You're not thinking straight, let alone can even justify what that really means. Three years later, we got engaged, and life was sweet. I was working for a prominent company, making pretty good money, and was able to support not only her, but perhaps any kids that we had. I felt like the luckiest man in the world, really. I had my share of problems. But so does she, and we got through them together. Sacrificing for each other, we came to grow deeply in love. Sharing the same thoughts, liking the same things. Arguments didn't last long, and we were very quick to make up if they did. I remember asking her to marry me on vacation. It was under the Eiffel Tower, which I know is cheesy, but she loved Paris, so it was perfect. The minute she said yes, I knew that the future was going to be pure bliss. Planning for the wedding was really hard. I didn't know what to do. We had a couple fights because it seemed like she was more interested in the ceremony than I was. Of course, I copped out under the this is more of a woman thing than a man thing stereotype, but really I had a deep fear of screwing things up. I made sure to hide that fact. 
I'd rather take my licks in being macho, and I still feel that way today. She planned a beautiful wedding, though. I mean, I may not know how to pick out something stunning, but I can sure recognize when other people do. She did a really good job. It was sort of Native American themish. We were wrapped in blue blankets separately, which represented our past single lives. Then as we were tying the proverbial knot, these blankets were removed and a white single blanket covered both of us. This, as you can guess, represented togetherness in virtue of purity, peace, and happiness. I I'm not much for rituals, but there was indeed something very beautiful about it. I'm Irish. All I wanted was some whiskey and some pipes playing. I never got into the Irish step, but I did have this vision of me and all my friends partaking in such dance. Everyone gave their speech. My beautiful bride's sister gave the most sweet toast. She was proud of the way she grew up and her capability of making good decisions. She didn't mention my name, but if that was her attribute, then I know she made a good decision when she said yes on that rainy day under the tower. We loved to go dancing that first year. It was a very intimate moment we had. And it wasn't half bad either, especially coming from years of moshing at a pit. I was surprised that I was able to take her hand and spin her around elegantly with a famous dip after reeling her back in. We had begun our lives together. She is a fantastic cook, and she's even better now. Every night, something homemade, and she was pretty diverse in her cooking. This all seemed to be magical, and, and it was, and it still is, really. I kept getting advice from older married couples. Simple exhortations to enjoy the seasons we are in now. They called it the honeymoon phase. They didn't shy about telling us that the honeymoon-like atmosphere would go away, and though we love each other, efforts to keep on loving each other will have to be made. That we will have to choose love on days we want to hate. Good looks may fade, but the covenant of marriage can prevail. We walk in light of that. We nodded our heads and knew that was sound advice. Nevertheless, we continued on with our lives. She got pregnant with our first child. The day I found out, I was so overjoyed. I walked through the door after work one day to an empty house, it seemed like. Rose petals were leading up to our bedroom upstairs. I followed them, of course. They went all the way to our bed, leading up to an envelope which was placed nicely on a pillow with a kiss imprint on the seal. She even made sure to use the shade of lipstick I liked. Everything in that scenario was purposeful. She was my rose, so naturally she used rose petals. The lipstick she used was my favorite, and she never licked the seal on the envelope. I don't know why, but I hate it when people do that for some reason. I opened up the envelope, and it was a pregnancy test with a positive symbol on it. I threw the test up in excitement and shouted with joy as she came out of hiding to surprise me. We were going to be parents, and I couldn't have been more excited. That night, we were already discussing baby names. If the baby was a girl, then we would name her this and such. The pregnancy was rough on her, but she made it through. She had strange cravings that I myself still remember being jealous over. I had to admit, the stranger it got, the more I said to myself, I'm missing out. We were having a little boy, and we named him Asher. He came in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. I'll never forget that night. We were prepared and completely calm. Eight hours later, our Occasionally, weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. Feel the pain. Then, wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life 
that he's given you. That you may not grieve as those who have no hope. So there's real grieving, which he expects, and there's hope. So grieving is real, losses are real, pain is real, really felt, really expressed. And hope is real that changes it profoundly. And I have in mind two, two kinds of losses. Those who had something precious and lost it, and those who hoped for something precious and never had it. And then one morning it breaks over you, and you weep about a 40-year-old loss or a 40-year never-have. And my counsel is, yes, go ahead, embrace that moment, weep. But then say to your weeping after a season, no, you will not define me, sorrow, because my God has said no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I trust my God, and he has not withheld anything that is good for me. So yes, let there be weeping in those seasons, feel the losses, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life he's given you. Hey there, guys. The story that you just heard from me is false. The story that you just heard did not happen. The story that you just heard about marriage, wife, kids, wedding, vacation, all of that, it didn't happen at all. Now, why would I tell you a story like that? Why would I even waste your time? So here's some things about me. I was 18 years old and I did meet that girl that I mentioned. We dated for a long time and we did love each other. We professed that. I don't think we knew what love is. In fact, I know on my part, I didn't know what love is at all. But we continued to be with each other. The first day I met her, I was actually quite stunned. I thought she was beautiful and I wanted to get to know her. I told my friend, hey, what about that girl over there? What's her name? And I gave him permission to give her my number. And I didn't think that I was going to get a call at all. Later on that night, I got a text message. Uh, from this girl, and we started talking. Eventually, I asked her out. She said yes, and we became an item. Now, I did really like her. I even professed that I loved her. Eventually, she said, I love you right on back. I want to hearken back to what I said before, is that I didn't really know what love was. I treated her like garbage, now, you can cut me some slack if you want to. From 18 to 25, I didn't have the right brain development. I was immature. I was a stoner. I was also an angry young man full of insecurities. And when something didn't go my way, I was going to let you know it. But I'm not copping out under those things. I was a sinner. I didn't know Christ. Christ says that God himself is love. And I, I was an atheist. I didn't know who God was whatsoever. Anyways, we broke up and we got back together and we broke up again and got back together and we broke up again and got back together. And every time we broke up, we most likely used as an excuse to go date and have sex with other people and 
and do the things that we wanted to do as young men and women, the things that we thought we were entitled to. And I believe that is where all my scars have come from. I didn't have wisdom. I didn't have advice. I was just on my own. I was extremely insecure. I didn't even want to bring her around my friends because they didn't like her. And I don't even know if her friends liked me. It was a weird relationship, but we stuck it out. Constant fights, yelling at each other. Eventually, she had to move to another state because I couldn't take care of her. She was actually forced to live in my apartment because the people around her could not take her in or didn't want to take her in. Anyways, that, that really doesn't matter. I remember her, her sitting in my apartment um, wanting food and she was hungry and I didn't have the emotional intelligence to understand that I actually needed to take care of her. So I wasn't well equipped as a man at all. I just wanted to go to work, come home, smoke weed, play video games, hang out with my friends, get trashed, do it again. And yeah, it does take two to tango, but I'm not here to tell you about her problems. I cannot own up to her problems. I can only own up to mine. So why am I telling you all of this? Well, it's, you heard John Piper. There is regret from the past. And there's a lot deeper things in this past that I had. Eventually, as we grew apart, because she lived in another state, I fell into a deep depression and heartbreak. I wouldn't even sleep in my own bed because she wasn't there with me. This is completely unscripted, by the way. I'm not reading a blog, and I, uh, I didn't type anything. So I'm just telling you this. I didn't have much of an identity. I didn't know who I was. I clinged on to every little bit of whatever clique that I wanted really to be a part of. I wanted to be a part of uh, comedy, and I wanted to be an underground comic, and I got really good at telling jokes. If you heard my last blog, you understand that. Go back to that if you haven't listened. I fell into drugs and extreme promiscuity. I didn't care if I was straight. I didn't care if I was gay. I didn't care if I was a girl or a boy. I actually did all of that. I hung out with the transgender community. They were prostitutes and they had the drugs. And that's when I fell into extreme drug addiction. I was always a stoner from the beginning, uh, but I didn't try anything outside of that. But needless to say, I wasn't sober. I got into methamphetamine and it became very, very hardcore. I lost my job, lost my motivation to do anything. I just wanted to smoke weed and hang out with prostitutes and write comedy and do all that. And my life was being torn apart. One day I decided to text this girl that has been on my heart ever since. I, I don't know what kept me or what kept my mind really uh, on her. I believed in my heart that it was the last good thing that I had. So I always would check up on her. I was always would see what she was doing. It was, it was just narcissism. Really. I, I don't think that I really cared, but I really wanted to know because if she wasn't married or if she was still single, 
uh, then maybe there's a shot. Well, I texted her one day and I text her that, Hey, I, I'm probably going to die because this meth addiction has gripped a hold of me so hard that I don't see any way out of it. So farewell. And I love you. And to my surprise, I actually got a reply back. I even got to talk to her on the phone. And she said, man, I'm, I'm sorry that you're going through this. <laughs> and like a narcissist, I'm, I'm saying, you're, you're sorry because of me and you? And she says, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm sorry that you're going through this drug addiction. And right there, that should clue you in because my entire time in drug addiction, I could never steer away from the thought of her. Why? I, I don't know. I mean, I was with other women. I had my own life. I had my own friends. I haven't even seen her in such a long time, but there was still that. And like I said, I think I was holding on to the last good thing that I had before I became this methed up mess. And if I lost her, then I lost everything. And if I lost her, this addiction that I was going through consumed me and I was no longer in control and I couldn't handle that. So I had to force my way back into her life. And that's exactly what I did. I forced my way back into her life. And because I did that, I ruined everything. I even yelled her to her on the phone one night, accusing her of messing with me. She asked me for a favor, and I blew up. I thought she was using me, and it wasn't fair. I tore her apart with words. Remember, I was a comedian, so I wanted to be this wordsmith. If you heard the last blog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I made fun of her family. Some of her family members have passed away. I made fun of them. I made fun of her and tried to psychologically break her down so that she could feel the pain that I was feeling, and it wasn't fair whatsoever. I regret that. I regret tearing her apart because of this addiction and because of my heart. As a sinful man, I wasn't mature at all. Anyways, I even found my way back uh, into her life, even after that, with an apology, and we smoothed things over. She was visiting for Christmas one time, and I had the opportunity to uh, meet up with her. But my meth addiction consumed me so much that I even screwed that up. I was relentlessly trying to get a hold of her on the phone, because the minute that she didn't answer, my paranoia kicked in. See, you're using me. You're saying that we're going to meet up, but you're with other guys. Blah, 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 blah. It's all paranoia, all crap. And I scared her. She knew exactly what I was on, and she was getting advice from all of her family and friends to stay away from me, and it was the correct advice. You need to stay away from me. And I never got the chance to actually love her the way that she needed to be loved. How could I? I? I didn't know who God was. I did get sober, though. I got sober. Christ saved me. 
See, I don't count my sobriety date as the day I quit doing drugs. I count my sobriety date as the day I was born again. May 3rd, 2016. It was a powerful conversion. That conversion that I had was like Isaiah looking at Christ and saying that I'm a man of unclean lips. That's how powerful my conversion was. I knew exactly who I was, and that was a filthy sinner. But for some reason, I was overjoyed so much that my God said, you're forgiven. I tried to reconcile with her, made a few mistakes along the way, and I already burnt that bridge. There is no reconciling with her at all. Unless by some divine miracle, God allows it to happen. I never got my wife. I never got the vacation. I never got Paris. I never got my uh, kid. Because I didn't know what love was. And because I didn't have Christ. What hurts now is that I am saved. I do know what love is. I do know what being a man is. I have all kinds of theological knowledge and wisdom. I've been sanctified. Jesus is my Lord. And my ultimate hope is not reconciliation unto this girl, but my ultimate hope is the resurrection of the dead is that one day I won't suffer anymore. But even with all of that, not a day goes by that I don't think about how much I hurt the one I claimed to love. And because I understand love now, and because I understand that my heart is with Christ, it hurts that much deeper. And that's the point of this blog. It's okay to weep because of the past. It's okay to regret the things that you've done because you can't undo them. And if you have the righteousness of Christ, you know that those things in the past were despicable. And you can't change them. And you can't change the damage that you may have done to somebody. They no longer trust you or want anything to do with you. They may not even like the fact that you're a Christian. A lot of people hate the fact that you may be a Christian. Specifically, I'm talking to young men here. Now, I have a strong conviction to stay single. And so I have been single. It's not that I can't go search for another girl, but through testing and through sanctification, I believe that God has called me, not forever, to a single status, to where I have to stay put and be obedient. And that's what I'm doing. Now, not everybody is called like I am to do that. So young men, listen up. You may have a story like mine. You didn't treat the woman right. You didn't know what love was. 
you don't know what love is. And you're with Christ now, and you find yourself lonely. And you think, maybe if I didn't do the things that I did, maybe if Christ saved me sooner, that I wouldn't be as lonely as I am now. And you will hear people say this to you. If you're with Christ, you're never alone. And that is true. If you're with Christ, you are never alone. But here's the thing. He says that you will suffer for his namesake. And you will feel alone. You know that you need human connection. It's okay to feel alone. And it's okay to say that you're lonely. Christ is alone with you. Don't put finding a woman in a preeminent above Christ. Because in the end, he will be preeminent. That is an enemy that he will place under his feet. Don't make it idolatrous. It's okay to weep because you're single, but be obedient in it. Walk with Christ in it. I've been sanctified by my singlehood. As I said before, I know what a man is. I know what a father is. I know what a mother is supposed to be. I know what a family is supposed to look like. And perhaps one day that God will give me all those things. But even if he doesn't, Bless the name of the one who saves. The girl I'm talking about, I still adore. She frustrates me. I wish that she was with Christ. And I pray for her every day. So I'll say this to her as my final word. If you are listening to this, I do love you very much. But my love doesn't compare to the love of Christ. No one's love compares to the love of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Beautiful, bemused, bellicose butcher, untrusting, unknowing, unloved. Ed. He wants you back. He screams into the night air like a fireman going to a window that has no fire. Except the passion of his heart. I am lonely. It's really hard. This poem sucks. <laughs>